more of the monocles right after this. Emmy salsa ahi? Ahi. Ahi. Uh-huh. 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 Wow. Oh. Awesome hot chip. <laughs> Get it at 443-742-2134. Now, back to the monocles on soflowradio.net.com. now for something a little different. The Monocle started out as a written blog, created to chronicle and give purpose to a sudden abundance of time. With a laptop and a curious mind, a new task was assigned. It was a personal one, to find fulfillment, to be happy every day. The Monocles allows for an expansion of knowledge and healing through stories and laughter. In the Monocles, there's joy in examining and discovering. The Monocles will share the stories about the many people, places, and comminglings that have appeared along this path through a blog and an intention. Alchemy is real. Words, written or spoken, have power and heal. Smile! This is Miami. The opinions and views expressed on the Monocles are not necessarily those of the host, the SoFlow Radio Network, or its sponsors. In this medium, we can do what we want. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Monocles. One of the things that I've always been super, super interested about um, when it comes to yoga is mantra and mudras. And I have waited a really long time to record this episode, and I reached out to my own mantra teacher, but we just never were able to connect in enough time to set this up. And thankfully for the Connected Yoga Teacher podcasting group on Facebook, which happens to be two of my favorite places um, to ask and receive information about 
all sorts of yoga. And thankfully, I put it out to the community. And I say thankfully because I'm so appreciative of the time in which we live in where we're so connected this way and it almost is like instant gratification to connect with people. And I asked um, if there was a, a teacher, a mantra teacher, and so many people referred me to um, Kaya Midland and I'm super, super excited to have her on the show today so we can discuss mantra and Kaya is a yoga therapist, a verdict counselor, an educator. She's got 20 years of yoga experience underneath her belt teaching and sharing and I really am so excited to be able to ask the source. <laughs> Go straight to the source. So welcome to the Monocles. <laughs> Thank you, Monica. That was very sweet. And I'm happy to be here. And I agree. It's really that connected yoga teacher spot is a really great place to connect to other practitioners of yoga. So I'm glad that that connected us. I, believe me, so am I. <laughs> so, I, you know, I like to keep everything super basic and open it up to a wider net to be able to really grasp a bigger audience of people. Tell us what is mantra. Okay. Um, well, to keep it simple to start with, let's just define the word. And we could actually also practice saying the word mantra. So a mantra means um, a mind device, or it can mean something that protects the mind so that the it's really um two words smashed together mun references the mind specifically the emotional feeling aspect of the mind and the mind's navigation system so that aspect of the mind that navigates the world according to what i like and what i don't like and when we think about having a busy mind <laughs> That's the manas aspect of the mind, the emotions, the preferences, and so on. So that's manas from that man, from mantra. And then tra means um, a device or something that protects. And so a mantra at the, in the most kind of simplest terms is something that protects the mind or something that is a device for the mind. Beautiful. Mantra. <laughs> yes, wonderful. Mantra. <laughs> Mantra has been something that I associate with a um, mala, mm. a necklace with 108 beads that we use, similar to a rosary. Am I right? Yeah. And, go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say so. So mantra is sort of a broad term. Once we have that basic definition, it also then can be applied in somewhat a broad way because there are, there are different, say, categories of mantra. And one of the categories of mantra is what's called japa. Japa mantra is where you are repeating a certain specified number of repetitions of a mantra that might be a bija, a bija sound, which is just sort of one syllable sound, or it could be a few words put together, or it might be sort of a longer verse. And if you're doing japa with a mala, that rosary kind of thing that you described with usually 54 to or 108 beads, and you're repeating a specified number uh, of repetitions, that's called japa mantra, and that's one kind of mantra. Yeah, that's most well-known probably um, by people when they think of mantra. That's usually probably what they're thinking of. And, and basically what I've used, and I'll share, there was, it was very early in my yoga training. Um, I was not in a good place like some people are when they start yoga. <laughs> it happened to be true for me. Um, I was not in a good place space mentally I was not in a good place physically and I remember 
jumping on a bus. I was riding a bus. So that'll tell you a little bit about where I was financially. Mm. And I just, I was feeling not good. And I remember just taking off my mala and repeating OM over and over and over again as I played with the beads, looking out the window and happened to, it was a long ride. So I happened to go through it a couple of times, Mm -hmm. but I guess kind of like what prayer can do for people when you're done praying, there was a sense of peace. I had a sense of relief and really just thought to myself, wow, this shit works. This is working. (laughs) And ever since then, I've really been very happy to have that tool in my pocket. Yeah, literally in your pocket if you're carrying a mala in your pocket. (laughs) So Um, happy to wear one. So happy to have it with me as that reminder. mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's that's such a great example of the effect of something that's relatively simple and in the simplest forms can be somewhat um, accessible and is very effective really immediately. Um, Another way we could think about mantra is sacred sound, sacred meaning, and sacred results. And you sort of just described the the result. Um, And with mantra, what's interesting, and this is true about everything, and we can take it with mantra specifically, is that when we do a, a mantra or we do, to put it more broadly, even prayer practice, of which mantra is one kind, we have two results. We have the immediate result, so how it impacts your physiology, your emotions, the state of your mind and thinking, and so on, right? That's the immediate result, how you feel during and immediately after, like you were describing. But then with mantra, because it is sacred sound and sacred meaning and gives sacred results, there's an additional set of results that can fruit later as a result of the mantra practice. And and from one perspective, depending on how you're using mantra, and like I just gave one category, japa, you might be doing mantra for the immediate result how it will calm your mind or focus and center your mind or using it as preparation for meditation or as a form of meditation itself. That's about the immediate result in a sense. But so mantra can also be used as um, a remedy. So what's called an upaya in Sanskrit means remedy, in which case then mantras are given for results to fruit later. And so these are mantras that are done to kind of Um, help clear problematic um, karma or obstacles in your life or to help you access certain virtues or potential blessings um, in your life. And so that's another category of mantra is to, to sort of gain benefit or sacred results later. And in that case, it's not even necessarily about how it makes you feel in the moment. In fact, it might be very difficult in the moment or a strain, you know, or you might feel distracted and yet it can still produce these beneficial results later. I love it. And I love how I want to get to more of this. Um, but correct me if I'm wrong. Mantra can have, it's, it's that sacred sound that we're creating. Am I right? It's or- Yeah. I mean, the sa- so you mean the sounds of, well, if we're talking about mantra specifically, of course, most indigenous traditions that I've ever heard of do use sound as a sacred form. But as soon as we're using the term mantra, then we're talking about Sanskrit. So Sanskrit is known amongst indigenous languages to, to be sacred sound combined with sacred meaning. And so the sounds have an effect on your physiology at the subtle level and on the mind and sort of psycho-spiritual level. And the meaning of the sound is embedded in the sound, if that makes sense. I mean, I could give an example if you want. (laughs) Uh, Yes, please do. And also we're creating a vibration. Mm -hmm. 
through that sound that just resonates on all those levels. Right. Yes. Exactly. Beautiful. And please share your example. Sure. So let's see if I'll give a couple. Um, let's start with gum. So gum, if you want to say it or your listeners want to kind of just sit and relax the body and then say the sound gum. G-U-M. It's like like chewing gum. gum. Yeah. Okay. Gum. 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 And let it reverberate as you just, you, you said the word vibrate, you know, let it vibrate, reverberate inside gum, gum. So that gum, it's a, it's called a bija mantra or a seed sound and it vibrates in the tailbone down at the base of the spine or the root. So if you say it a couple more times, see if you can sort of feel it in your body in there, down there somewhere. Gum, 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 gum. Yeah. Yeah, so that gum resonates sort of physiologically and subtly down in there, down there. We could, you know, the yoga people may have heard it as muladhara chakra, but also physiologically around where the tailbone is and at the subtle body where the tailbone is. That sound has a resonance with that part of the body, which has an impact on your physiology, on the subtle body, the flow of life force, your emotions. And it's used to stop restlessness. It calms and grounds. But gum also has a meaning. It is the seed name of Ganapati, Ganesha, a lot of people know. So that that elephant-headed lord or god. So that Ganapati, that that gum has the meaning of Ganapati embedded in it. So it's this sacred vibration, the sacred sound and sacred meaning. It is a name for this principle of Ganapati and Ganapati is the principle of, how can I put this simply? It is the principle of um, the capacity of the formless presence of the universe to manifest as many things, including you. So it's this meaning of Ganapati, which means that the primordial presence of existence manifests as everything in manifestation, including you, the individual. That's the meaning of, that's one of the meanings of Ganapati, manifestation expressing as variety and it has this resonance with the tailbone. So there's all these things happening with just this sound and that sound and the meaning calms restlessness because the sound calms restlessness, but the meaning as well calms restlessness because it invokes the concept in an embodied way that I, as an individual, am a form of that one presence. And that calms restlessness and agitation. That's amazing and beautiful at the same time. And and by being able to calm our mind and create this sense of peace, allowing us to become a little bit more centered, allowing us to be more focused and opening up that um, trail to being able to manifest. <laughs> magic it's magical it's like magic <laughs> it's it is magic um i have a very good friend who was one of my first people in my circle to be um a yogi and to share their teachings with me on a you know a very sweet friendly kind of level mm-hmm. And I remember throughout the years, um, her practice and her knowledge became a lot more intense and deeper. And I remember her going to see a a guru. Um, I want to say it was a verdict astrologer, but don't quote me. 
on that. And she she was given a mantra and she would explain how when she wanted something to come to fruition, all she had to do was meditate and focus with her own mantra and it would just happen. It would just come to light. And I'm, I'm talking, this is like 20 years ago when I, she would tell me these things and I would be like, yeah, okay, right. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, throughout the years, I've never forgotten that example that she mm-hmm. gave. Now, is that true? Is that possible? And I'm asking you from your experience and your, your knowledge. Right. So, um, okay. There's a lot there. So one thing is that there are some people who have the sort of authority capacity to be able to give a personalized mantra as an upaya, that remedy type of mantra that I, that I that I uh, mentioned before. So there are some mantras that are kind of open source. And particularly if you're mainly primarily using it to focus your mind or find tranquility, this other category of mantra that's used as a remedy to remove obstructions or to help you sort of gain certain virtues and blessings in life um, beyond just the immediate effect of the mantra, those are required to be given by someone who can give them at the right time to the right person. And so that might be a guru, it might be a Vedic counselor, and it might be a Vedic astrologer, which is a type of Vedic counselor. And a Vedic astrologer would be looking at the horoscope and the individual, you know, the individual's horoscope, their karma, what is appropriate, and even looking at a horoscope of the time in which they're speaking to the person to know, is this a good time when the mantra can be given? Because mantras can only be given to certain individuals at certain specific times astrologically if you're doing that category of mantra. And then once all that falls into place, uh, the mantra can be given. That's, that's one aspect of you know, that person, what, that category. Does that make any questions about that piece? Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes total sense. And how would one go about finding that person who has the capability to give that mantra? Because now as I share that story, right. I'm just like, wow, maybe it could be my Right. Mantra. Okay. So this is where we get into some sticky, you know, slippery slope types of situations. So the, the trick is, however, you can't just go to such a person and ask for a mantra. And in fact, as soon as you see them, if someone's putting their, you know, uh, putting a sign on the door that says, you know, I give mantras, that's a red flag. (laughs) Because really the way that it happens is usually, and some of, if any of my students are listening to this, they may have had this experience where they've, some of them have come to me and asked for a mantra. And I usually say, you know, now's not the time. Um, We have to wait for a different astrological period. And usually that's true, but also the other pieces of it is that the student doesn't ask for a mantra. That's just not how this is done. (laughs) As much as people will want what we're talking about, the way that it actually happens is, let's take the case of a Vedic astrologer. So my husband is a Vedic astrologer. He doesn't give out mantras. That's not his gig. And if someone asks him for one, he's even less likely to, to do it, depending on the relationship, unless it's well into the relationship. But what may happen is he's looking at the horoscope and from the horoscope's perspective and from his objective perspective, he can see, okay, a certain kind of practice would be beneficial for them and I will recommend it. Does that make sense? So it actually has to come from the teacher or the counselor, because they're seeing it's a need. And if the student's asking for it, that's just about the student's desire. What the student asks for or the client is more about not asking for a technique, but asking for a result. So for example, if you said, I'm struggling with such and such, what can I do to work on that? Then the the Vedic counselor, the astrologer and so on might say, okay, well, these are the lifestyle recommendations. And 
this is, you know, I think you should do X, Y, Z. And one of those recommendations might also be, and there is a particular month of practice that I think would be effective that you should start on such and such a date and do it for a certain period of time. But it, it's about accomplishing a certain outcome, not a mantra for the sake of the mantra. Does that make sense? Very much so. Also makes sense why I yeah. can't find that on a Groupon. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, red flag. <laughs> you got my joke there. <laughs> um, Along with, uh, along with mantra um, comes mudra. And that is more, I, I'll share. One of my very, very prized possessions that was lost in a fire several years ago was a book on mudra that I happened to find in the Indian section of Queens, New York, <laughs> like very randomly. And really became such a great tool for me to go, oh, okay, we can put these two things together and really create that, that energy. And I like, I like to see a lot of, I, I don't like to see. What I meant to say is a lot of times when you see a photo or an image of someone meditating. They're sitting cross-legged with their index and thumb mm -hmm. finger touching. And that's kind of like this universal kind of image <laughs> of meditation and peace. I wouldn't call it universal, you know what but I'm I saying? would call it um, yoga a yoga land Generic. image. <laughs> right, like a very generic yeah, even when, you know, with my, my uh, elementary students, when I'll say, hey, how about we do some mindfulness, right. they'll go into that position, automatically, <laughs> the index and thumb finger top. Right. <laughs> um, but they don't necessarily, do they always go together or you can do mantra without the mudra <laughs> and does the mudra with the mantra enhanced. Yeah, it. that's where, a good question because it is such this? a common image that's kind of burned in people's brains, including children, as you said. And so what is there meaning behind that image or is it just an image? It's a really good thing to look at. So mudra is absolutely a valid aspect of the yoga, tantra, Vedic tradition. Like mantra, it is giving... Um, sacred meaning and position to the physical body. So we could think of what mudra does, and there are hand mudras, there are tongue mudras, there are full body mudras, like lotus pose as an example, but there are other more accessible full body mudras. I'm sitting in one at this, as we speak, swastikasana is a seated position that is a full body mudra, and that's how I'm sitting right now on the floor. Um, so a mudra is, what it is, is that you are closing, so to speak, um, channels of prana or life force that are significant. And so um, do you want to do another kind of experiential thing? Okay, sure. So of course, we can take the one that you were just describing. And then I, I do want to talk about whether you have to do mudras or whether they go with mantras or not. Um, so if you bring your gently bring the pads of your thumbs and index fingers together and don't squeeze them, just bring them to a touch and hold them there. And so everyone listening can give that a try. And I want to say that's like maybe the universal. It's like, okay, but don't okay. pinch. If you pinch, that gives the opposite effect. Okay. And if you dig and also don't, so don't pinch it, just touch. And also don't dig the tip of your index finger into the center of your thumb pad. You're sort of touching the two pads together at the, at the ends. We don't have a visual here, but I think people will get it. No pinching and no poking your index right. finger down into your thumb because that actually gives a very different result. You can think of it like prana 
flows through your fingers and can potentially just kind of think of like laser beams of prana potentially coming right out through the tips of your fingers. And you're just going to gently press those two tips together without pinching. Okay. Exactly. Right, making that, that connection. And then the other three, and then the other Relax three them. fingers That extension thing is just some kind of okay. photo op situation. <laughs> Relax them. <laughs> Right. Well, one of our teachers, my husband and my and I had a teacher who would say, "I'm installing a BS meter, a a BS meter in my students." So I pass that on. Okay. So now just put your put your hands someplace and maintain that hold and relax your other fingers. And as you're doing it, I can say that these two fingers, all of the fingers and the segments of the hands and palms have significations in the Vedic tradition. We have um, samudraka, which is the analysis and meaning of the body. So the thumbs have a particular meaning that has to do with your will and the index fingers have a particular meaning and, and so on. So there's a reason and the planets and are associated planets with each of the well. fingers and segments of the hands. Exactly. Too much to get into. So for now, just feel this. And as you sit here or lay or whatever, you might start to feel that there's a little bit of a, there's, there's a connection and you'll feel it more as we take it away. So in a moment, what I'm going to suggest is that you see if you can feel the looping of energy sort of through those circles that you're creating with your thumb and index fingers. And then Start to very slightly pull those fingers apart, but let them be like still barely touching. And then pull them apart just a little bit more, like an eighth of an inch. And see if you can feel that the energy is still looping. And then if you want, you can pull them a little bit further apart and it will... Almost like pulling taffy, almost like I actually am visualizing that energy between the fingers as they get pulled away, actually. Hello. Hi, Kaya. It just totally cut off right in the middle of our taffy. Well, (laughs) Here, I have a theory when, and this happens sometimes with the podcast, and I like to believe that when there is something of significance and importance that is being shared, there sometimes is an interruption. For me, it only, it only generates that need and will to power through it. (laughs) So I really want to say that we were coming to something super, super important. (laughs) We blasted through. The tech couldn't handle the prana. (laughs) The shakti. (laughs) There's too much energy here, and it affected modern technology. There you go. So I was separating my fingers, and actually my eyes were closed. And Mm. yes, feel the energy between and almost as I separated the fingers more and more, it was almost like a taffy being pulled between them. Right. So that is sort of a tactile way to experience the concept of what a mudra does, that it's, it's not about the physical. It is working directly at the level of prana, um, at the subtle body in terms of the flows of life force. And that then impacts your mind and that impacts your physiology. Whereas if we take asana, so yoga poses, yoga poses work with the physical body, which impacts the subtle body. And then that affects your mind. Mudras work with the subtle body, which impacts your mind, which then affects the physiology. So it's working in a different way to still care for and tend to these different aspects of being in a human body. So deep, so valuable, so magical. It is magical. And, you know, we think of mad when we use that English word magic, I think, you know, as we've done now with mudra and mantra, 
it's usually pertaining to something that seem, that's unexplainable or that's mysterious and hidden, you know, has no explanation that is seeable. And that is really what the Vedic, the yoga, the tantric tradition specializes in, is those factors of the human experience that are beyond what is seeable. So, um, so valuable yeah. to, to, to know, to practice. Um, I don't know if I, I don't remember if it was from that book that I lost or someone taught me. I don't remember, but I do know when I meditate in the morning, I place my hands on my lap and palms faced up. My right hand is on top of my left. Mm-hmm. And thumb and index finger, so the index finger of the left hand connects with the thumb of the right hand mm-hmm. and the opposite for the other two. Mm-hmm. Visualize this sign of infinity. And my hands just naturally go there when I meditate in the morning. Am I crazy? Did I forget? Like, what is this? Did I make this up? (laughs) That is a mudra, what you're describing. Absolutely. It is one of many mudras. And you may have seen someone do it and imitate it, you know, imitated a teacher or someone doing it, or you may have gotten it from that book. It's absolutely a mudra. And, you know, having talked about all this mudra stuff, I'm going to circle, you know, come full circle around to the sort of the other end of the spectrum and say what my guru would say when it comes to meditation is he would say, just put your hands someplace and forget about them. (laughs) So, you know, mudras on the one hand, as I'm saying, mudras are real. They are a valid, valuable part of this tradition. They have an effect, which is real, even though unseeable. And at the same time, if we're talking about meditation for the sake of awakening, it's not about your body. Your body is just a vehicle to have a certain effect. A mantra might be a vehicle to produce a particular effect or result, but it's not for its own sake. And so if doing a hand mudra gives a result that's beneficial or allows you to ultimately forget about your hands, then it's fine. On the other hand, if someone finds that they're making a lot of effort and the mudra is about trying to accomplish something and make something happen or it's uncomfortable, you know, all those things, or they're doing it because they saw it in a magazine or they think they should do it, then I would go back to just put your hands someplace and forget about them. That it's more, what's more valuable is, you know, sitting with yourself, by yourself, as yourself, you know, then accomplishing something or making something happen by doing a mudra. And frankly, I mean, I've done, you know, I've been a yoga teacher for 20 years. I don't teach much mudra. When I do my own mantra and meditation practice, which I don't do a million, I do the one mantra practice or the two or three mantra practices that are given to me by my teacher at specified, you know, times. And only because she says, okay, you're going to do this mantra now, (laughs) you know, then I just do it. Um, And I'm not doing a mudra when I'm doing it because in my practices, I'm holding a mala with one hand or I'm giving an offering with one hand or I'm just putting my hands someplace and forgetting about them. So, you know, you do it if it's effective, beneficial, or you're, it's, it's allowing you to, you know, just leave your hands be, but otherwise it's not necessary. Got it. And I think in my case with that mudra, it's more of just that's where they naturally go. And yeah, I assume when I assume the position for meditation, that's what just naturally comes to me. Right. And has been, maybe it's just now habitual. Right. Um, and that's the difference. That's where we have to bring in, you know, sort of a loving discernment about, okay, this is, this is me putting my hands someplace and forgetting about them. This is where they naturally go. I mean, who knows? Maybe you have some past karma that's, you know, at play there, that's moving your hands into a position that's familiar at a kind of (laughs) past karma level. It might not be that you saw something in this life that, that told you to do that. It might be something that's organically sort of moving you. (laughs) Which which is now moving me to Google what that mudra is. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I think it's just for me, it's just things that I've 
gotten into the habit of doing for myself um, and, and tapping into that sensation of what I feel feels right for me. Right. Um, and, and being free to, to do that. But I'm always happy to learn and explore and, um, yeah, just grow in knowledge and experience. Mm-hmm. So would mudra be something that, or, or mantra, let's get back to mantra, would that be something that you as a yoga therapist use with your clients or just in general teaching of yoga? Where would that fall into the category? Right. So as a teacher, and this is me, you know, this is me speaking based on the background and training I have. This is absolutely, you know, whether we're talking about teaching elder yogis, chair yoga, or teaching prenatal students, or, you know, teaching mantra and so on. These are certainly not things that we should crowdsource how to do or Google how to do. It has to be that we're teaching these things because we have some training and expertise. So I'm speaking from my own, you know, background and and training and so on with, with my teachers, that the way that I share these things is not necessarily as a yoga therapist, if I keep that category very strict, um, but I use it in teaching broadly. I'll teach groups, mantras sometimes, um, whether it is sort of broader. So for example, I've taught a mantra class on invocations for knowledge, because when I teach yogic philosophy, for example, or my yoga nidra training, I will start and end with certain mantras. And so this past year, the students said, could you teach more about those mantras? And so I offered, I did a class in which I taught about the concept of mantra a bit. And then I taught these invocations for knowledge, which are very open source. Anyone can do them once you learn how to do them. And there's no real restriction, right? Other than trying your best with the pronunciation. So those are sort of open source Sanskrit invocations. There are other mantras that we can do as a daily practice. So there's one for the divine feminine that you can do when you wake up in the morning. There are um, verses, Sanskrit shlokas, which can be done as a mantra that are done before you eat a meal. And these also are open source once you learn them. There are mantras for peace, for universal peace, a very good kind of mantra for us to be doing at this time in the globe. Um, And so I've I taught those, you know, I have a class called Mantras for Daily Living. And so those, again, are open source. Anyone can do them. And then there are times when um, I might teach something that is more kind of a secret (laughs) tantric practice, uh, mantra practice that I teach one-on-one because maybe my husband has looked at their horoscope and said they need to do such and such and Kai is going to teach it to you. <laughs> or um, it might be something that I'm seeing going on with them and I you know, teach it to them one-on-one. Or there might be a small group where I'm inviting. If my teacher, for example, my teacher might say, at this time, astrologically, it's very important for people to do Ganesha mantras. I want you to invite your, some of your students who you think are a fit for that to do this ritual or to do this mantra. And then that might be something that I put out as invitation. Because depending on the category of mantra, these things might be totally open source or they might be very restricted, you know, down to the individual's horoscope or somewhere on the spectrum in between. So depending on what I'm sharing and with whom, it kind of varies. That makes sense. And of the different kinds of mantras um, that exist and without getting too, too in depth, what would be a favorite for you that you'd like to share? So I, I was thinking that it would be nice to share something and, um, I would love to share a mantra for Ganesha because at the time that we're doing this interview and it will be lasting for over a year, there are, there's an astrological configuration that makes it very important and beneficial to do Ganesha mantras. So mantras for Ganesh that are um, devotional in nature and also Uh, an invocation of certain principles 
and have a very beneficial effect for us as individuals and for the whole globe. So if you want, I can share. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Okay. So, um, okay. So let me give the, I'll share the mantra. This is one that is relatively open source and simple and, you know, accessible to pronounce, I think. So it begins with OM. So you can, you can repeat it for the sake of the audience and they can repeat it too. So OM. And then that word gum, that's like chewing gum, gum. 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 Good. Gum. And then the next word is, I'll break it down first. Gunna. Pataye. Pataye. And I'll put that together. Gana pataye. Gana pataye. Great. And then namaha. Namaha. So namaha. say it a little bit all together. So om gum. Om gum. Gana pataye. Gana pataye. Namaha. Namaha. Om Gam Ganapataye Namaha. Om Gam Ganapataye Namaha. Beautiful. So do you want me to share the meaning of it? Okay. Absolutely. So Om, so much can be said about Om. We'll keep it brief. Om is a primordial sound of pure being or presence, which is formless. It is that formless presence that is the source of everything. That's what that sound om represents, primordial presence. And then gum, as I said before, it resonates with the tailbone, the muladhara chakra or the root. It stops restlessness and calms and grounds you in your own self. Gum is that capacity of the formless, which we represent with the sound om, Gum is the capacity of the formless to manifest into endless variety and diversity. So that unmanifest primordial presence, then gum is constantly creating, sustaining, and dissolving as endless variety. That's gum. And then ganapataye. Ganapataye is ganapati. And ganapati or ganesha that name means the, the Lord of groups. Gana means group. And so what this is about is that that endless variety that's constantly being created and sustained and then dissolved, that's manifestation, right? Everything comes into existence, sustains for a while, and then comes out of existence. All of that variety can be organized into categories. So for example, if you um, go to the grocery store and you see endless variety, it's overwhelming, right? You can't even, you can't list all the things that are in the market. But then what do we do? We categorize it. So there's produce and there's dry goods and there's snacks and there's vitamins and so on. So you can organize it all into categories, okay? And then all of those categories can collapse into each other. So then we can collapse those categories into food. And then we could collapse that into the category of nourishment, right? And then that ultimately resolves into the one primordial presence. So that's the principle of groups. That's what Ganesha represents is that the way that manifestation can be organized into categories. And so that's Ganapataye. And then Namaha is I bow. I, I say that I surrender myself to that what is greater than me. I surrender my small individual identity to recognize that I am, an, I am part of the indivisible whole. So Om, primordial presence, unmanifest. Gum, that presence manifesting into endless variety. Ganapataye, that endless variety organizing into categories until it all resolves back into the primordial presence that is unmanifest. And Namaha, I humbly 
surrender my individual identity. I also resolve into that one unmanifest presence. That's the meaning of this mantra. Beautiful, beautifully said, explained and expressed. So thank you. Um, this this mantra also, or uh, to mm-hmm. Ganesh, is the remover of obstacles. Yeah, Ganesh, most people will know as opener of doorways or removal of remover of obstacles. So how does that make sense with what I just described? <laughs> The reason Ganesha is the remover of obstacles is because he is the Lord. The, so Isha is Lord. Gana is categories, Lord of categories, because think about that grocery store. If I just go to the grocery store with no list and no categories, and I just walk in and I'm hungry. I'm overwhelmed at the endless variety, Right. Like if I told you, go shopping for me and you go into the store and you don't know what I like, you don't know if I have any restrictions, you don't know my constitution, it's completely overwhelming how much variety there is in there. But let's say, to, you know, for those who know Ayurveda, you go like, well, it's winter, Kaya's Vata, right? <laughs> so now I've got some categories on board. My mind is clear. I know what to get. She needs sweet potatoes and brown rice, right? And ghee, So now I know what to do. So when we understand categories, the obstacles of our minds are removed. We are not overwhelmed by the manifestation. That's why Ganesha is the remover of obstacles. It's because he's the Lord of categories. So we have great devotion for that one who removes obstacles by organizing our minds and that simplifies our minds. Makes sense. Yeah. And it's, it's, I'm glad you asked because it's something we take for granted. Like, okay, Ganesha, that just means remover of obstacles as though it's arbitrary. And this goes back to what we said at the beginning that it is Sanskrit and mantra is sacred sound combined with sacred meaning for sacred result. So when we actually ask these questions and investigate a little bit more, we see, oh, there's a reason why he has that, you know, that that's been attributed, that remover of obstacles. It's all embedded in the meaning, which is sacred. And that meaning is embedded and embodied in the very sounds themselves, that gum, 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 your tailbone is where you as an individual begin to manifest. And then everything about you sprouts out of that root, that gum, gum, gum. So even that, the meaning of Ganesha is in that sound. It's fabulous. Thank you so much for sharing. I am definitely gonna, gonna <laughs> be listening. <laughs> See, English comes from Sanskrit. <laughs> even, even East Coast English. <laughs> Right. Definitely go to replay and and re-listen to this because I love it. And I'm so grateful for you playing along on the Mongols. Kaya, yeah, (laughs) thank you. When someone wants to connect with you, maybe take one of your offerings, um, what would be the best way for them to connect with you? The best is to go to my website, which is yogawithkaya.com. So all spelled out yoga, W-I-T-H-K-A-Y-A.com. And if they're specifically interested in the mantra classes, um, they can find those under online programs. And yeah, everything will be there. I am definitely interested in the verdict counseling area of expertise. Yes. <laughs> for myself, for my audience, um, I, I really just am called to learning more and exploring the magic that exists there. Yeah, there's a lot. It's kind of all that the Vedic tradition has um, then offered in a way that's very individually applied based on what's coming up for an individual person 
in the moment. It's wonderful. Yeah. I hope that we can speak again, um, whether it's on a podcast or um, over the phone. Because you're on I the West am. Coast. Yeah? I'm on the West Coast, but I talk to people all over the world. So I would love that. And I really enjoyed this conversation and your questions. Oh, thank you so much, guys. <laughs> thank you for having me, Monica. Absolutely. Hi everyone. I wanted to share a simple breathing technique that I developed when my life turned upside down several years ago and I was suffering from extreme claustrophobia, panic attacks, and anxiety. My anxiety was so intense that on a doctor's scale, three day difference, First day on the doctor scale, I weighed X amount and three, literally three days later on the same doctor scale, I had lost 12 pounds. And as much as I'm a fan of losing weight, I can certainly use some weight loss in my life. Um, panic and anxiety is not the way to go. This happened to me early in my yoga career, so I'm very, very grateful for the many teachers that I studied under, and my focus became Yoga for Trauma, where I learned a lot of different techniques that and tools that are available to us, um, medicine-free, doctor-free, something that we can draw on in those moments of panic and anxiety. I like things to be simple. I like things to happen quick. And this technique that I developed helped me. Um, I still use it. I found myself teaching my clients how to use it. And eventually I wrote a short um, ebook about it, explaining that technique. And I'm offering it to you now, letting you know now about my ebook, which is available on Amazon. It's available for Kindle and it's called Reset the Breath. We are living like machines, but even a computer that's a machine has a reset button. So when life becomes overwhelming, you can always turn to your breath and use this simple three breath technique to gain your composure, to gain your inner peace, and to gain your confidence back. One of the most debilitating things about panic and anxiety is that when you do have an about of anxiety or panic, you usually will associate, or I associated the location where that happened and then would try to avoid that. So it was really limiting my life. Example, if you're at the mall and you have a panic attack, guess where you're not going anymore? You're not going to the mall. But it's not the mall that created the panic attack. Um, being able to consciously and uh, breathe with awareness and visualization and intention brings us back to the present moment, which helps us very much to eliminate or overcome um, this moment of panic attack or anxiety. So I invite you to check out this ebook on Amazon, Reset the Breath. It's a short read, less than 12 minutes. Um, I also priced it less than a cup of coffee at Starbucks because I feel that this is an invaluable tool that we have available to us in times of panic and anxiety. And guess what? In the middle of a pandemic, it is a good time to start practice practicing our breathing. So please check out Reset the Breath on amazon.com and I hope it helps you just like it helped me.
Monocles is recorded live each week from the SoFlow Radio Studios in Hollywood, Florida. Written and produced by Monica Uribe. Directed by Christopher Hudspeth. With special thank you to George Rodriguez. All rights reserved.